I invite you to turn to your Bibles and to the Gospel of Matthew and find the first chapter. We're going to be reading, obviously, the stories about Joseph today and the announcement of the coming of the Christ as it came to Joseph. And our theme for this Christmas season and kind of building up to, through, the, through the end of the month is, is this. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him who they've never heard? And how, and how, are, the, and how are they to hear without someone preaching? Okay, let me try that again. Take two. How then will they call on him and who they have not believed? How will they believe in him and who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This is our theme for Christmas. We're talking about the announcing of the Christ. And, and our job to continue to make that announcement. And so we're kind of looking at the different characters of the story. And, and when they received the news of the coming of the Christ. And how they reacted in using that to challenge ourselves. And, and ultimately at the end of this. Uh, and especially what we're building up to on <clears throat> Christmas Eve. And then the, and then the 26th. Is this sending. That, that preaching isn't something that I do, just me. This is something we all do. One of, one of the distinctives of, of Baptists is what we call uh, the, the, fellow, the um, priesthood of all believers, that, that we're all priests, that we're all to be delivering the message of Christ. Uh, to the world and we each kind of have our own world you know that group of people and who you function and, and work with and live with and, and know and people I don't know but you do know and, and that's your world and you're supposed to be going and sent into that world and and and, and that those who will understand the message you bring will, will bless you and think about this is the person who delivered the message to me so anyway, so we're looking at these different ones. Uh, today we're obviously going to be, we talked about Mary and, and her kind of private um, message and her abandonment to that message, even though it would have been challenging for her. We talked last week, really, this, the announcement to the shepherds is, is the backbone announcement to the, to the Christian church, that the good news, a Savior is born who is Christ the King. That, that is the foundational bedrock of the Christian message. And today we're going to be looking at when Joseph heard the message and, and it was announced to him and the announcements he's got. By the way, I do want to take a moment um, just to mention something that you won't know if I don't tell you. And that the beautiful artwork we're getting used and the, that we're using for this slideshow was all hand-drawn by our own Abigail. That she designed that and drew that for us. This is... This is a, every time I see it, I kind of remember, oh yeah, she spent her time drawing this for us. And so we are grateful for her as I'm thanking people for, for helping us have a, a lovely Christmas season this year. And, uh, and so that's where that came from. So we're going to be reading about Joseph from Matthew chapter 1 and then some from chapter 2. Starting with verse 18 in Matthew chapter 1, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But, he was, but as he was considering these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, 
And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now turn over to the second chapter of Matthew in the 13th verse, and we're going to pick up Joseph's story there, Matthew 2, 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Rise and take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This is to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Let's drop down to verse 19. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought his life, the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. And so, really, when we think about Joseph and the, and the man that he was, just, just some highlights about who this guy was. Now, the truth of the matter, if, I, if I'm going to be completely transparent with you, the Joseph is probably one of my favorite characters in the Nativity. Maybe because I'm a dad, you know, maybe because I'm a husband, and maybe I identify with him and his role in, that, in the events of this story. Uh, maybe because when I look at Joseph, I see a very kind of Abraham kind of figure that, that, that he responds much like Father Abraham did when, when God spoke to him and talked to him. But for whatever reason, I, I really like Joseph uh, and I, I think a lot about him. It's interesting in the nativity scene, often the most overlooked guy and the most overlooked person is Joseph. Um, you know, try to find a song about him. You know, we got plenty of songs about babies. We got songs about wise men. We got all kinds of songs about shepherds and angels and stars and Mary. There's one, I think, called Joseph's Song um, out there. And you'll have to look that up on, on the Internet to find it. Uh, I think uh, I was talking to Elaine. She was like, there's one in the hymnal, I think. But, and she goes, we ain't singing it because nobody's ever sang it. And so the poor guy gets left out of everything. He don't even have a song uh, like everybody else. Maybe that's why I, I like him. He's the underdog in the story and kind of overlooked. The truth of the matter is, probably one of the reasons we don't think about Joseph a lot is he's not mentioned a whole lot without the Scriptures. Uh, beyond these events, beyond the childhood of Jesus, we don't hear Joseph. These, these passages I've read, it's really his day in the sunshine. This is, this is the important part of Joseph's life. We don't hear much about him uh, throughout the rest of the Bible. Most scholars would believe that he died somewhere whilst Jesus was still young, uh, somewhere after that event in the temple when Jesus was 12 years old, you know. 
some, sometime between there and his adulthood, which we don't have many stories about from the time from that 12 years old till Jesus starts his public ministry at about 30. We don't have a lot of information there. And that somewhere in that span, Joseph may have passed away, probably being much older uh, than Mary was, but he's not mentioned in much of the gospel stories and the public life of Jesus. And so he kind of fades into history. But the truth of the matter is that, that Joseph was, was an important figure. Um, he was probably the father of Jesus's, I would say probably, I would say certainly, uh, the father of Jesus's brothers and sisters. Those are mentioned in Matthew 13, verses 54 through 56. It says this, and coming to his hometown, this is Jesus, coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished. And he said, what did this man get? Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is it not the is not his mother called Mary and not our and not his brothers called James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and are not his sisters with us? Where did this man get all these things? And so in that passage, it actually mentions some of Jesus's brothers and sisters, which again kind of clearly points out that that some people believe in the perpetual virginity of Mary that know that her and Joseph had a real marriage and they had kids after Jesus was born and and that their names James being one of them is probably the guy wrote the brother of Jesus who wrote the book of James that we study interestingly there is a Joseph Jr. mentioned you know that one of Jesus's brothers is also named Joseph um, interestingly his he has a brother named Judas also uh, kind of interesting popular name back in that day so, so Joseph plays an important role in, in his life and, and the, the, the character development of the young Christ, of Jesus, and, and his brothers and sisters. And we see that family coming uh, to struggle with who Jesus claimed to be. At one point, Jesus' family actually want to kind of have him committed. <laughs> they, they, they think he's kind of lost his mind. They want to kind of get him out of town. Like, you're making the family look bad with all this stuff you're saying about, you know, I am and stuff. And, and it wasn't much till later that James, his brother, would, after the resurrection, his brother James actually comes to faith and realizes that Jesus is the Christ. One of the things we know from this scripture is that Joseph had a very high moral character. Um, it tells us that he was a just man, that when uh, Mary was found to be pregnant with a child, that he wanted to divorce her quietly. Uh, he didn't want the capital punishment that he could have asked for and the justice that he could have asked for, but that he was peaceable. He was, he was humble. He was just. He had compassion for her. He was going to do this in a very quiet and in a way of integrity. And so he's a, a character we look at and say, you know, this is a guy who really already is distributed. Uh, uh, demonstrating that he had faith and is loving God. Now, here's one of the amazing things when you think about it. Joseph was visited four different times by an angel. I mean, Mary gets one visit, you know, the, the shepherds get a choir, but Joseph is having a, a pretty regular visitation by the angels. I mean, of all the people in the Bible, you start thinking about this man who's, who's regularly being visited by angle, angels and, and having conversations with them and being directed by them. I mean, he's a, he's a guy that I'm like, that's pretty honorable. That's pretty amazing to think that he, he's, he's visited by these angels. And so I want to just take a moment. This is a, a, a phrase I used last week. That, that we'll come back to kind of keep reminding ourselves that, that our reaction to the announcement, to the announcement of who the Christ is, 
Our, announce, our re reaction to the announcement reveals what we really believe about what we've heard. It's how we react to what we hear that shows if we think it's real or not. And so let's take a moment and look at the responses of Joseph. How, how Joseph, the, the responses that he gives on these different occasions and, and kind of use this as, this is a good way to respond to the announcement. Well, the first thing Joseph's response is, is he's obedient. In every case, he does what the angels say, right? He, he, he's, you're going to have, she's going to have a child and you're going to name him Jesus. He named him Jesus. Get up and go to Egypt. He got up and went to Egypt. Now leave Egypt and come back to Israel. He got up and came back to Israel. And he's like, oh, yeah, and now go settle down in Nazareth and, and make a life there. And he went there. And in each and every case, Joseph is obedient. And I think that's one of the things we have to admire about him. Like, and like I said, it's kind of in that Abraham line of faith, I think. When Abraham was called and he said, get up and go, Abraham got up and went. And that's kind of what Joseph did. He's get up and go. He got up and went. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, it tells us that to love God is to obey his commandments. Like really, one of the ways we love God for loving us is to be obedient. And Joseph sets a really good example of that. On occasion after occasion after occasion, he does what he says. He's loving God. The second response that Joseph has is his response is immediate. Now, this is one of the things, I, I guess, this is kind of Abraham too. Abraham gets up and goes when he's told to get up and go. Joseph wakes up from his dream, and the way it reads, he got up in the middle of the night and did what he was told. He didn't like, okay, got it, get to it first thing in the morning as soon as the sun's up. No, he got up and took his wife. It says in the night he was warned, he got up in the middle of the night and flees to Egypt, that, that his response is immediate. I think that's a challenge for us, really. I've heard a lot of people come to me over the years of being a minister, and they would tell me things like, I believe the Lord's leading me to do such and such. I believe the Lord wants me to do such and such. And, and, and I believe when we are wanting to follow God, when we're seeking God, when we're here to serve God, that God has things for us to do. I've made that pretty plain. You know, and, and, and that's between you and God, and you're working that out. And I've had a lot of people come and tell me, and, and I'm, I'm going to give you the answer. Now, you come talk to me about it. Love for you to come talk to me about what you think God wants you to do. I'm for that. But I can give you the answer right now. Do it. <laughs> if you think God's telling you to do something, the best advice I got is do it. <laughs> yes, obey, and do it quickly. But, I, but I've seen people struggle for long periods of time. I, I think God wants me to do this. and I don't really want to do that. Number one excuse, I don't think I'm equipped to do that. I don't think I'm able to do that. Well, you're probably not. Right? Because if God's going to call us to do only what we're able to do, we don't need him. And I think God calls us to do things we can't do, so we have to rely on him. I told you the story of a dear friend in the last church, and I will remember this hopefully for my dying day. I just got finished preaching a sermon, and I walked down, and she looked with me in the eye, and she said, Jason, don't worry about it. God qualifies the called. He doesn't call the qualified. Good advice. Heard a little bit, but it's true. 
And when I embrace that understanding that, that God calls us to do things we can't do, because that way we have to rely on him and we need him and we can't cut ourselves off from him and like, oh, I got this. You can go take care of somebody else. Then we learn to trust him. I may have told you this story before, too. I had a, a pastor friend, kind of a mentor. He had seven, eight kids. And uh, we were visiting him in his home one night. And he told one of the younger boys uh, to go do something. And the boy said, yeah, okay, I'll get to that in just a minute. And everything stopped like he stood up whoa i think it was at christmas time we were there for a christmas party whoa turn the music off i mean it's like the world came to a screeching halt and i'm like oh what's going on he calls all the children to gather into the room and he looks at him he says children delayed obedience is and they all in unison said disobedience <laughs> brother got up and went and did what he was told to do right then that might have been a little extreme, but it certainly impacted me and caused me to think about sometimes we may be just disobeying because we're delaying. That, that if God has told us to do something and we're giving to God, oh, I'll get to it eventually, then we're not obeying immediately. And that's one of the things I certainly admire about Joseph is like when he's told it's Johnny on the spot right then, you know, that's what he's going to do. And I think that's probably wise to do when you get a clear message from God on something you should do. Uh, and you reach the conclusion, this is what I'm to do, do it, and do it quickly. One of the other things about Joseph's responses is they're courageous. Again, he's asked to do things he's not done, maybe not equipped to. He's, we, we recognize that when he grows up, he's, he's known as a carpenter. This is a carpenter, right? And, and, God, and God says, okay, I want you to take this lady who's pregnant, and everybody knows she's pregnant before y'all got married, and I, I want you to marry her and be with her and be faithful to her. And, and he did that uh, to his own self-detriment, to his own pain, to, to all the whispers that would be said about him as they walked down the street, you know, all the, all the comments that would be made about him and about his wife and, and the relationship there and all the gossip. He, he bore that. You know, he's called to go to Egypt. Okay, it's time to leave the country. Big task. It wasn't like buy plane tickets and fly there. You know, go to a different country where you don't belong and make a living and provide for your family. Come back, you know, and establish your family. That he was, Over and over, he faced obstacles. These weren't easy requests. These weren't easy directions that God's making on his life. And it took some, some real internal fortitude some courage to respond to God and do what he's asked to do and, and, I, and we have to amaze that uh, imagine that and again I think when God calls us to do something it's going to take some courage it's going to remove us from our comfort zone almost in every occasion that you're going to be called outside your comfort zone and it's going to have to be courageous and probably one of the best part of Joseph's response to these things is he was consistent. Over and over and over, obedient, immediate, courageous. The next time the angel comes, obedient, immediate, courageous. The next time the angel comes, obedient, immediate, courageous. And then the fourth time, obedient, immediate, courageous. And what did Joseph get for this? Well, just think about this. That because of his responses, because of his obedient, immediate, 
courageous and consistent responses to, to the announcements of God to him, Joseph is personally responsible for fill, fulfilling at least three of the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus, about the Messiah, that he would, that he would be born of the virgin, that he would be called out of Egypt, and that he would be known as a Nazarene from Nazareth. And that, that his obedience fulfilled three of the prophecies. Would you like that to be said about you? Would you like to say, I was so used by God that I helped fulfill biblical prophecy? Not once, but three different occasions. Remember this, that Matthew's writing basically to a Jewish audience, right? And probably one of the highest things that could be said about a Jew is that you help fulfill the prophecies of God. I mean, Joseph was, uh, should have been held in some of the highest esteem among the Jewish community when they read these stories. Like on three different occasions, God uses him to fulfill prophecies and announce the coming of the Messiah. Now, the truth is, that's basically what we know about this man. And so I would ask you this question. That little bit of information, that's, that's really about all we have. Was that a life well lived? If you could sign up for a life that significant, would you? That, that you would be used by God to fulfill his plans on earth in very specific ways? And if Joseph hadn't responded the way he did, if he hadn't had in his heart a real belief in who God was and what God was up to, we, we know what he thought, what he believed in his heart by how he responded, obedient, immediate, courageous, and consistent with that over and over and over. The story would have been far, far different. There may not even have been a story together at all. So what I want to do today is, is just for our sakes to start applying Joseph's examples to our lives. So, so we, this is a man who lived well, life well. This is a man who served God extremely well, which should be part of our goal for being here in the first place, right? And, and so let's use his example. Now, that's one of the things I think is really important. I have a whole set of kind of Bible study questions, and if you ever want them, just kind of like when you read a passage, there's, I got a list of like seven questions that you can kind of ask of any passage and it kind of helped you walk through and kind of figure out how to apply that passage to your life. One of those questions is, is this an example to follow or an example to avoid? Like, so when we read stories about people's lives, they're usually there for a reason. And they're either giving us an example of, this is somebody I want to live like, or this is somebody I don't want to live like. It's either an example to follow or an example to avoid. And so I think it's pretty obvious <laughs> Joseph is one we want to follow. This is one we want to mirror. This is one we want to say, I want to live life like Joseph did. You know, I would like to serve God like Joseph did. I would like to be known for being obedient, immediate, courageous, and consistent. Those are, those are qualities that I'd like to have in my life. So let's start with a, a, an important question. Do you want to hear from God, serve God, be used by God for his purpose. Now, most of you, because you're sitting in church, are going to very immediately go, yeah, because we know that's the right answer, don't we? You wouldn't be here if you didn't know that's the right answer. Yes, 
I do. I want to hear from God. I want to serve God. And I want to be used for God by his purpose. But I want you to take a moment and really think about that. Because that's a primary question that we have to struggle with. Am I really here to hear from God, to serve God, and to be used by God for his purpose? Or, as I know is true, because many people ask me, are we sometimes here for what God can do for us? I'm here to be served by God, comforted by God, saved by God, and spend maybe a little time with God. I'm here for what he can do for me. And that's the, way it's, that's the way a lot of things are approached in church today. I even have people come. I mean, when I talk to people about our church, so what can your church offer me? Well, we'll try to give you a chance to serve God, <laughs> be used by God, and hear from God. You want that? You know, and the real question is, is that what we want? Because consumer mentality has invaded churches, and it's become more about the consumers than the boss. Right? What can we do to make everybody in the pews happy instead of what can all the people in the pews do to make God happy and serve him? And so this is really a primary question in how we present the gospel and how we act and how we behave and what we come to do here at church. And so I ask you again to really consider this very deeply. Do you want to hear from God, serve God, and be used for his purpose and not our own? Because that makes a whole big difference. And, and I believe that's where Joseph was. I believe Joseph would answer very strongly, yes. I think he lived that out. He heard from God. He served God. And he was used by God to fulfill God's purpose. Because I can promise you, none of what happened to Joseph was his plan. Right? He didn't like, you know, when I grow up, I'm going to marry a teenage pregnant woman, run off to Egypt, because the king is out to get me, right? Leave the country. You know, that, that wasn't his major plan. That wasn't his, his life goal. And so the reason I ask that question, and the reason you need to think very, very carefully about that. You, I mean, you probably need to go home and think about this question. You probably can't do it justice in the moments we have here. Because here's what I want you to know. If your answer, if you even think it's yes... If you even believe it's yes, if it's yes, and that's a big if and a big yes, you need to understand this. This is the number one thing that you need to understand if you're going to answer yes to that question. We must be willing to have our lives, our plans, our dreams, and our aspirations interrupted, adjusted, and changed to serve God. And that's just a universal truth. I bet if you look at almost every story in the Bible where somebody heard from God, served God, and advanced God's plan, their life, their dreams, their plans, and everything they hoped for was interrupted for God's plan. And so if you want to say yes, if you think you want to say yes, if you would dare say yes to that, then you need to embrace this thought. God's plans and life for me is more important than my plans for myself. I'm willing to have it all interrupted to serve God. That's why really serving God is such a challenge for us. And, and, and there's a lot of people who have faced that over and over and over. 
Because we have to understand that the Bible tells us over and over, his ways are not our ways. Uh, that he knows the plans he has for us, you know. And the Bible even says we have plans for ourselves that, that, that seem right to us. And they're often the way of death. And, and so the Bible tells us that plan, God's plan is perfect and good, but it's different than what we would plan. Blackaby, in the study Experiencing God, calls this the crisis of faith. That once we hear from God, once we, we can kind of figure out, here's what God wants me to do. That in every occasion, every time God asks you to do something or directs you to do something, you're going to come up against a crisis of faith. Where you're going to say, that's uncomfortable. That doesn't make me feel good. I don't know that I can do it. That's going to require me to change my life. That's going to require me to do something different. That's going to interrupt my plans. Whatever. And how you respond to what you heard will determine what you believe about what you heard. And that's just the truth that we have to embrace. So let me give you some characteristics of Joseph. How, how to be more like Joseph. And I'm going to give credit to who this comes from. Scott, I'm stealing from you. Thank you. Appreciate it. No, you don't mind. And I think he got it from somebody else, so don't worry about it. Otherwise, another, another way of putting this, the qualities of a good servant of God. And I think we see these kind of in Joseph. We want to be fat. After Thanksgiving, I have taken a good step in that direction. It's an acronym for us to understand, some qualities for us to get and try to discipline ourselves on. First, the F. F is for Faithful. That we need to be faithful. That, that's kind of that consistent part in, in Joseph's life. So, some synonyms, that, and we use the word faithful, but there's a whole kind of category of thought and what it means to be faithful. Dependable, trustworthy, that you follow through, that, the, that there's a confidence, that people can be confident in you, uh, that you're tried and true, that you're steady, that you're unwavering, that you're going to be there when the chips are down, that, that I will be faithful. No, no matter what, the, here's where I'm standing, and you can count on me to be there when it needs to be done. This is the kind of quality that Joseph had, that, that he was faithful. We see him over and over. God counts on his faithfulness. Are you going to still be faithful, Joseph? Are you still going to do when I ask you to do this? Yes. Well, what about when I ask you to do this? Yes. Well, what about when I ask you to come back from there? Yes. What about if I just say, well, here, we're just going to go live in this rinky-dink town that really nobody likes? Yes, I will do that. Faithful at every turn, trustworthy, dependable, had follow-through. God had confidence that he could trust this man to do what he was asked. And so the first part of any servant, any good servant of God, is to be faithful. I will, you can count on me. The second, the A, available. Now, that, that may surprise us that it's, it's, this is different. It, it can be something that you are. Uh, maybe something, let's just talk about availability. You know, there's a lot of people who, who God can count on to do something, but they ain't got time to do it. 
And we just have in, in our world, I actually looked up a story. I was going to read it, but I'm not going to read it on. If you want to read the whole thing, it's written from another pastor. And, and it's a whole story about, and it says, keep them busy. In the non, it's, a, it's, a, it's a story of Satan talking to the demons. And, and he's telling them how to, to, the, to stop Christians. So like, we can't stop them from going to church. We can't stop them from reading the Bible. But we can stop the relationship if you keep them busy with the non-essentials of life. Invent innumerable schemes to occupy their minds, is what Satan told the demons. Tempt them to spend and spend and spend and, and, and use their life and, and busy themselves. And so part of what we have to do is understand that God has given us so much time, and we like uh, manage that time, and sometimes we fill that time with everything but time for Him. And I'll make it, I guess, a personal story. I remember very specifically standing in my dorm room. My dorm room was an old-fashioned, my dorm that I started off in college with was built in the 1950s as temporary housing when Clemson was still a military school. And so it had a concrete ceiling, a concrete floor, three metal walls, and a little wooden divider between it, the one room and the next room. It still had the gun stocks where they would put their rifles. And each room had a little sink and a little medicine cabinet in the corner of it. And I remember very specifically standing in front of that sink and looking into that mirror when I realized that, that for me, working full-time vocational ministry was what I was to do. I remember it very, very vividly. It just made sense that this was what my life was going to be. It was going to be working in some kind of vocational ministry for the rest of my life. I call that, I refer to that moment as the moment I really received the call to be a minister. It would play out over the few years, and I would do different things. I would graduate from, from college. I would go off and start seminary. And I would pray, my, my dad would, in that church, would every week have an altar call. And I would literally go down every week, week after week after week after week, and, and on my knees, and begging God, you know, I want to be used by you. I feel called by you. What's my next step? What do you want me to do? I, I don't know what to do. I graduated college, and I was in seminary, but it didn't seem satisfying. And I was looking and looking and looking, and I was begging and pleading week after week. And then I went on a little trip to visit some friends, and while I was driving, I was praying and talking to God, and it occurred to me, and this is what I heard from God at that moment, how I hear from God in my thinking of my heart. I'm like, Jason, I'd be glad to move you, but you got so many anchors down, I can't move you. I was working part-time as a darkroom technician for the local newspaper. I was working full-time uh, as a manager for a local convenience store. I was working part-time as a youth minister in my dad's church. I was supposed to be full-time in seminary, but it acted more like that was part-time too, to be honest with you. I, I just had so many things. There was no other space in my life for God to do anything. And that came really clear. He's like, I can't move you. You got anchors here and anchors there and anchors there. And where am I going to fit in? And so I literally drove home after that visit from my friends that weekend, came home, walked into the newspaper, tendered my two-week notice, walked into the boss where I worked at the uh, uh, convenience store, tendered my two-week notice, told Dad, I don't know when I'm leaving, but I'm leaving. You better get ready. And I went into the seminary and withdrew from classes, to which my professor, the dean, goes, well, God usually doesn't call us to one place without telling us where we're going. I say, oh, really? How'd that work out for Abraham? <laughs> I 
Reluctantly, they let me withdraw so that I could come back and finish, and I did about several years later and got my degree completed. And it was literally two weeks after that that I first stepped foot into therapeutic wilderness camping. As you know, that had a huge part in my life that led me into ministry. And now 17 years later, here I stand. And I just realized sometimes we got to make room for God. we got to make time for God. we got to be available to Him. And in the world, probably one of the number one things we struggle with in this world is just dead busyness. And so that you might be faithful, that God can count on you, but are we available? Is there time for Him to use us? And that's something we have to manage. We have the most control over in this set. Finally, there's the T, and that is to be teachable. Trainable might be a better word for us to understand, is to understand that, that whenever God calls us into something, and this might be the most difficult thing, uh, really, is that when God calls us into something, it's his plan, and we often go into what God calls us like, I know how to do that. I got, I got a plan. All right. Thanks for giving it to me, God. I got it from here. And we go into it just with our mindset. And, and that sometimes we have to open up our, our eyes and open up ourselves to like the way we would do it, the way we would handle it may not be the way God wants us to do it and the way God wants us to handle it. And, and that, that serving God, we have to be trainable by him. We have to be teachable. We have to be willing to learn and think differently than we think because we're all convinced the way we think is the right way. And for us, it might be. But sometimes the way we think isn't what God wants us to do. And so serving God, it's about his purpose. And it's about serving his people in often cases. And it's more about that we often approach, here's how I'm going to serve you. Get ready for it and receive it. Instead of how can I serve you? I'm willing to serve you. Now you tell me what's the best way to serve you. That's the teachable, trainable part. Instead of saying, I know what's best for you. Now here's what you're going to get. And be happy with it. Instead of being, what is it you need? Where can I meet you? How can I meet you? How can I be Christ to you? How can I be the Christ that sat down with the woman caught in adultery and not condemn her and not condone her at the same moment? How can I be Christ who sits down with the woman at the well and and convince her that he's the Messiah and she goes off and asks other people? How can I be the Christ that sits there to uh, a dying man on the cross beside me and he goes, remember me when you enter your kingdom? How can I be that Christ that serves others and makes them more important than myself? And it's more about how I serve than what I accomplish in my serving. And that takes training and teaching from God. Because we all formulate our plans and we kind of say, okay, God, here's what I'm good at. Here's what I'm going to do. And here's how I'm going to do that for you. Can you bless it? Instead of saying, God, here I am. You can count on me. I'm available. I got time for you. Teach me and train me what you want me to do for your plan. I'm an open book with nothing written on it. Here I am. Take me and use me. And so when I look at Joseph's life, when I get down to, the, to those core qualities that made this man really a biblical giant, personally responsible for fulfilling three different of the messianic prophecies himself, just by his responses, that God could count on him, that he, that he responded obediently, immediately, right, with courage and consistency, 
that he was this, that he was faithful, he was available at that moment, God said, in the middle of the night, and Joseph said, got time to do that right now, and he got up and did it, and he was trainable. His plans, his life, everything he knew was willing to be taught by God to do something different that wasn't his plans. I will serve the way you tell me to serve and make it about serving you and your plans and not fulfilling my own desires and wishes. The truth of the matter is, Joseph is a great example for us to follow if we want to hear from God, serve God, and be used by God to fulfill God's plans.